morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad they have the strongest person in this church moving this day right now. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. And as uh, Andrew mentioned, we are going to be kind of wrapping up our series around Jacob, around this very important character, this person early in scripture that we learn about. We're going to be continuing that sermon series and hopefully wrapping up most of his life through our message today. So if you want to grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, we'll be on pages 27, a little bit of 28, and a little bit of 29. So if you want to grab those pages, we can be there in just a minute. The message this morning is titled, Two Brothers, Two Altars. Two Brothers, Two Altars. Something so special about being here in church on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a time for us to come together, put our eyes and our focus back on Christ and to say, Lord, guide me through this week ahead or this day ahead and start to give our lives to Christ more and more and rededicate our hearts back to him. But every Sunday is followed by Monday. Let me ask you this question. How many of you look forward to Monday? Wow, there's a couple of people, some overachievers. Yeah, good. Monday is a good thing for you. Let me ask my college students in the audience today, how many of you look forward to Monday? No hands up. What is it about Monday that makes us feel like, look, everything I was looking forward to is gone because of this new day where all new stress, all new work, all new activities have to all come into focus on Monday? For the last 10 years or so, I've been teaching a Monday morning class. Ask any student that's here today. A Monday morning class means zero engagement or interaction. I walk into my classes on Monday morning and uh, about 100 students I'll interact with tomorrow. And not a single one of them will be focused, engaged, interacting during class. I get a little bit out of them on Wednesdays and Fridays, but Monday morning... There is very little that's coming back to me. So over these last 10 years, I've learned start every Monday morning with a question, ask them to engage around a story or do something else. And so tomorrow morning, I'll do the same. I'll look to a room of people who look like they're dead. They'll be looking back at me and I'll have to somehow engage them for the next couple of hours. Nothing like this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I teach a business class on Monday morning. A couple of weeks ago, there was a major banking system that collapsed in the United States. There were major economic implications around interest rate hikes and all these issues that were happening all throughout our country and around the world from an economic and business perspective. I walked into class on Monday morning. This is the day when everyone's going to engage around what happened. And so I started Monday morning with a simple question. What did you hear in the news this past week? What did you see happen in the business world this past week? And there was absolutely no movement in the audience. No one raised their hand. No one had a short story to share. Nothing that they had read this past weekend. So I started prodding them. What did you, you must have heard something, a bank collapsing, big economic things happening. No, not a single thing that they'd heard. So I finally said, what did you hear this past week? And give me anything. One brave student raised her hand and she said, Professor, did you hear about the TikTok drama between Haley Bieber and Selena Gomez? To which I responded, what's TikTok? And no, I, I, I actually, I, I responded with, 
okay, I guess that's where we're going in this class. And one by one, students lit up. They all started raising their hands. OMG, are you talking about what Haley said about Selena, what Justin thinks about all of this? And all of these back and forth conversations erupted in the classroom on a Monday morning. They were all talking to each other, talking back to me, and I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> and all of this around the drama, the tension, the problems between two celebrities, that's all it was. There's something about drama, about issues, about tension, about broken relationships that we get excited about when it's someone else in the broken relationship. In fact, you've probably seen pictures like this on the internet where parents who are trying to discipline their children who are misbehaving or can't get along with one another will stuff them into these oversized t-shirts that say the get-along t-shirt and put them in together. My brothers and I, we used to fight a lot as children. And Alina and I have been blessed with kids who don't fight. It's weird. It's really weird to me. But every once in a while when they disagree, I love looking forward to the moments where I make them do an awkward hug right afterward or an awkward handshake. And it's really uncomfortable watching them do it. But because for the two of us, it's fun to watch when there's a broken relationship somewhere else. It's fun to see it and talk about it and get engaged around it. But let me ask you this question. What happens when you're in the broken relationship? What happens when you're not getting along with someone? What happens when there's bad blood between you and a sibling, you and a parent, a parent to a child, you and a friend, maybe even you and your spouse or your partner? There's some sort of broken relationship there. What happens to you in those moments? Is it happiness and joy and fun, or is it the actual brokenness of that relationship that permeates into everything you do, everything you think? You can't sleep at night. You stress about it during the day. You stress about it at night. You're thinking about, what does this person think about me? And how did this relationship get to this place where it is right now? We don't talk to each other. We don't have a strong relationship anymore. What happened between us? Broken relationships are a very real thing, and that begs the question, does God care about my broken relationships? We've been walking through the life of Jacob over these last few weeks as we've been talking about the unstoppable blessing of God. How regardless of Jacob's failures, God keeps working, God keeps moving throughout history. If you remember, we started weeks ago talking through the birth of Jacob and his brother Esau, and we saw right from the beginning there is this tension that exists between these two twin brothers, that they simply don't get along at all times, and they have this rivalry, they have this jealousy, they have this envy and this enmity between each other that leads to massive broken relationship where eventually we find Jacob running away 500 miles to the home of his in-law, uh, to the home of his mother's family, and he runs off to this place called Haran. For twenty years, Jacob has been living off in this other land, and growing and marrying and building up his family, his livestock, and his his possessions, and he's become this great tribe of people that we read about in Scripture. We get to this amazing moment in Genesis 32 where Jacob knows that God is now calling him to go back to his hometown, his homeland. But what does that also mean? I have to go back to my brother, the one that hates me, the one that wants to kill me. 
And there is this broken, broken relationship that Jacob starts to pray about. He cries out to God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God, please fix this situation. Don't let my brother kill me when he sees me. And as Carmelina mentioned before, then Jacob wrestles with God at the end of chapter 32. And that's where we left off last, last week. If you remember, Jacob looks up. And here's how scripture tells it to us in chapter 33, verse 1. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau, that's his brother, was coming. And 400 men with him. I want you to put yourself in Jacob's shoes for one minute. The sheer stress and worry and anxiety that comes with knowing that this thing in my life that burdens me and hurts me the most is broken relationship with my brother. And this broken relationship has led to this murderous feeling within my brother that he wants to kill me. And Jacob prays to God, wrestles with God, and then he looks up. And here's Esau coming at him with 400 men. That is not a sign that this brother is coming for good purposes, is it? That Jacob is looking up and Esau is coming at him ready to destroy him and his family. And Jacob looks up. And I want you to see what happens next. So Jacob, so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now listen to this unexpected twist. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What happened over 20 years to make two brothers, one fleeing from the other one, one ready to murder the other one, what happened over 20 years that led them to this moment where out of nowhere, one is bowing down to the one and the other one is running to hug and kiss his brother that he has not seen in 20 years? What happened? There's a phrase we use in the English language, time heals all wounds. Is that true? No. Time doesn't necessarily heal anything. Jacob and Esau have been apart for 20 years, yes. And they put distance between themselves, yes. But many of you sitting in this room right now, us, we know that time doesn't necessarily heal anything. So what happened? If you study this scripture, you look and you'll notice that everything in this passage is leading to something. We said that the title of today's message is Two Brothers, Two Altars. Let's start with the two brothers. Does God care about broken relationships? Now, let's think about what God's unstoppable blessing has been. It's been that from the beginning of the story with Abraham, Abraham, I will give you lands, I will give you generations, I will bless you, and you will settle in this land. Then he comes to Isaac, and he blesses him, and he says, I will establish my promise. I will continue to bless your generations and give you this land. And he comes to Jacob in chapter 28, and again in chapter 35, and he says, Jacob, I will bless you. I will give you land and generations. Nations will come from you. So when you hear God at work, it sounds so macro. It sounds so big. 
that God, when he works, he works with nations and kings and rulers. He works in a big, macro way. Does he care about my petty grievances with my brother, though? Over and over again, you see that God is doing this global work, but he never stops doing a local work in your heart and my heart, too. That for 20 years, he was doing a work in Jacob's heart. For 20 years, he was doing a work in Esau's heart. We don't have all the story around Esau, but we recognize in Jacob's heart, something is changing. For weeks, we've been studying how Jacob would deceive his brother, would deceive his family, would be manipulative, would be constantly conniving, ready to steal, lie, cheat, do whatever it takes to get that blessing and that inheritance. And then in this passage, we see some behaviors that we would never see from Jacob. He goes from self-sufficiency to the sufficiency of God. He prays to God to fix this situation, not something we saw early in Jacob's life. Jacob interacts with Esau in chapter 33, and Esau offers him gifts, and Jacob says, I have enough. Jacob would have never said, I have enough before. He always wanted more. Jacob accepts nothing from Esau. Jacob bows seven times in front of Esau, not something he would have done before. And even Esau does something different. He runs, now it's hard to picture this, but Esau's 97 years old. He runs to Jacob. And Jacob, with his hip out of socket, remember, he has a limp, bows down seven times in front of Esau, and then the two brothers run and embrace each other, hug and kiss each other. Both of them have changed. I want to ask you this question. Does God care about our broken relationships? And the answer is, is that broken relationships provide a place for a reconciling God to work. Over these next few weeks, we're going to walk through the story of Scripture. We're going to look at the reconciling work of God. And one of the things we'll learn is that broken relationships here on earth, within our families, among our friends, within our communities, broken relationships provide a place for a reconciling God to do his work because there is a deep connection between reconciliation and worship between two brothers and two altars. There is a connection between these two things because broken relationship is a place where God works. From the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, God was making a way to reconcile man to God. So would he use broken relationship to teach us lessons? Yes. Broken relationships in our lives are a place for a reconciling God to work. And this morning, when some of you hear me, you are facing the burden and the worry, the anxiety of broken relationships in your own lives. And you're probably thinking, I've got to figure this out somehow, or just let time heal all wounds. This morning, I remind you, God deeply cares about the broken relationships in your lives. And for some of us who are ignoring them, who are putting them off and not thinking about it, because if I don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it. Let me ask you this morning, do you stop praying because you're worried that God will reveal to you what you're supposed to do in that broken relationship? Do you sometimes refuse to sit silent before God because you're concerned that God might point out to you, hey, 
I know you want to worship me. I know you want to hear my will. I know you want my direction and my guidance. But first, I would like you to address this relationship. Scripture teaches us over and over again that there is a deep connection between reconciliation in relationships and worship. That two brothers and two altars are connected. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus himself speaks about this. Let me read this passage for you, and the words will be on the screen. Take a look at them. Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Do you notice the sequence there? Jesus says, if you want to worship me, first go and reconcile with your brother before you come and worship me. Why would he build such a deep, intertwined connection between relationships and broken relationships and making things right with our brothers before we come and worship him here? Because Jesus' work, God's work from the beginning has always been about reconciliation. It's always been about reclaiming our hearts back to him. But if our hearts are distracted with broken relationship, if our minds and our world is completely fixed on the broken aspects of earthly relationships, we're going to struggle to connect with a reconciling God in this life, in this world. And so one of the things that we have to start addressing we have to start looking at is if worship is an act of the heart, where is your heart this morning? God uses broken relationships to remind us about his reconciling work. And oftentimes it is deeply painful. Deeply painful. Reconciling a relationship is never an easy thing that we see. Jacob and Esau look like they're just running at each other and they love each other. No, that was 20 years of Jacob learning what it felt like to be deceived when Laban kept deceiving him. Of Jacob knowing what it felt like to be robbed of what's owed to him. Of Jacob learning to trust and rely on God over 20 years that changed his heart to ultimately reconcile back to his brother. And some of us this morning, we're in relationships that seem impossible. There's no way God could reconcile this relationship. But maybe some of you this morning is an opportunity to come before God in prayer. Maybe there's an opportunity for some of us to change our perspective. Some of us might need to let some things go. Some of us need to find avenues to text or talk or have a conversation with someone. Some of us need to build understanding in our hearts toward the other person and pray that the other person builds understanding toward us. There is an opportunity to reconcile step by step, and sometimes it's painful. When I was a senior in high school, a group of friends and I, we were playing basketball in the high school gym. I don't want to call it basketball. It's more of a violent version of basketball where it was full contact. And... At one point, one of my friends pushed me from behind while I was taking a shot, and I went running forward into the bleachers that were in the gym, looking back at the shot that just went up and running forward into the bleachers. The next thing I knew, I was waking up with a bunch of people around me. My hand was inside of a giant bag of ice, and I see all of my classmates and my gym teacher all around me saying, don't worry. The ambulance is on its way. Don't worry. Don't look at your hand. 
And it was in this moment that I was kind of coming back to, to understanding what's happening. And a girl from my class comes running into the gym and she screams out, I want to see the S-shaped finger. And that's when I realized my hand is in ice, something's going on. I realized that when I went into the bleachers, I, the little slit in the bleachers, my hand went into the slit and went up and dislocated in multiple places and broke in a few places too. And as I'm going to the ER, the doctor comes and he says, look, we're going to have to do something to fix this. We have to break your finger to reset your finger. Pain before we get to any sort of reset or reconciliation. And I think for a lot of us, we don't recognize that there is pain up front that God asks us to pursue. He wants Jacob to bow down before Esau. He's okay with Jacob sending gifts ahead of him to go and give to Esau. Because reconciliation is so critically important in God's book. He looks at it over and over again and he says that this is something I want you to pursue. If you want to be blessed in that land, you can't have an entire nation of people who despise you. So Jacob, go, take this blessing with you and reconcile with your brother. There'll be pain, but there'll be progress. Now, there are two brothers who are reconciling in this passage, but I don't want us to miss, and I know time has gone by, so I want to get quickly to this, the two brothers, and then we've got two altars that we see in this passage as well. Two altars. Altar sounds like a very church word. It's something that you probably only hear in church. Altars. The Old Testament is full of this message of an altar. An altar was a place where worship took place. It was typically a place where a sacrifice was made because it was an act of worship to come to an altar, to build an altar, to come to it and recognize God who brought you to that place in your life. That was worship. And Jacob, who has a history of remembering and renaming places, right, we remember this. He renamed Luz into the town of Bethel because God had given him a dream there. He wrestled with God all night and renamed that place Peniel because he had wrestled with God. All of these were Jacob renames places, sometimes even sets up pillars in these places. But then he comes to the end of Genesis 33, and he is now reconciled with his brother, and he builds an altar. This is the first time we see Jacob building an altar to God. An altar is a place where something comes to die so that we can come to worship God. And reconciliation and worship are intertwined. That God calls us to first reconcile and then come to worship. When we partake in the Lord's table and communion, we come to reconcile first and then worship because that sequence, that order, is critically important in Scripture. Jacob, this guy who's renamed cities, who's built pillars, builds an altar for the first time. He calls that altar El Elohe Israel is what he calls it, which means God, the God of Israel. It can also be translated the mighty God of Israel. But who is Israel? Is it a country? At that time, it's one person, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and here is Jacob worshiping by saying, God, the God of Israel, God, my God. 
reconciliation comes first and God, my God, comes after that. The altar was his place to say, God, you are my God. And some of us this morning, we're in a place where God, I've been around him, I believe in God, but he is not my God. I believe in God, but he's not really my God. Throughout Jacob's story, you see he is the main character in his story. He treats himself as the main character. He even interacts with God in Genesis 28 and says, God, if you do a bunch of things, then I'll give you some of my stuff. He's always the main character. And he comes to Genesis 33 after 20 plus years of running from his brother. He comes to Genesis 33, builds an altar, and he says, God, you are the God of me. You are my God, the God of Israel. And over and over again, we see in Scripture that when reconciliation happens, worship happens after that. God, you are the God of Israel. Some of us this morning, we've come here and God is a character in our story. He's a sideline character. When the time is right, I'll tell him to come onto the field. But for now, God, stay on the sideline. And there's broken relationships in our lives, and there is a very broken relationship with God because we think of him on the periphery, on the sidelines. He's on the edge of my life. He is not leading my life. When Jacob says, God, the God of Israel, he is making a proclamation that this God is not just a sidekick. He's not just a side character in my life. He is my Lord, he's saying. How many of you this morning have come here and maybe you've made some plans in your life? And when I ask or when you're asked the question, what role does God play in that decision? You're saying, I've asked God to bless my decision. I've asked God to endorse, to sign off on my decision. Check my box, God. Make sure that you sign off on my decision. All of Jacob's life, he was making the decisions and then asking God to bless that decision. And here he comes to this moment in his life. Now, I don't want to pretend that Jacob goes on to be perfect. He doesn't. He's still conniving in many ways. But in this moment, he says, God, you are my God, the God of Israel, and I want you to lead, you to be God, and me to be the sidekick, me to be the one that follows. And some of us this morning need to make that switch in our lives. That he is God, my God. Are you asking God to lead you? Or are you asking God to endorse your plan? To sign off on what you've already decided that you will do? There are two brothers, and there's an altar called El Elohe Israel. There's a second altar. We find it in Genesis 35. If you want to turn with me quickly, we'll read a few verses in Genesis chapter 35. It says there like this in the first few verses. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. 
Jacob's life takes these crazy twists. Uh, chapter 34, which we don't have time to go into, is filled with this terrible, terrible situation that his family goes through because of some of his decisions not to necessarily fully follow after God. And chapter 35 comes and God speaks to Jacob again and says, Go to the place that I promised you. Do you remember a few weeks ago we learned that Jacob had a dream of a ladder going up and down to heaven and that place he called Bethel. And for 25 year, 20 plus years he went away from that place and God is now bringing him back to that place. And God says, when I bring you back there, I want you to build an altar, the second altar that you can worship me at. The God of Bethel is the name of that altar. Some of us have another situation that we're struggling with. He is my God, but I am not fully his. He is my God, but I'm not fully his. And God speaks to Jacob and he says like this, Jacob, take your whole family and go to Bethel and go and establish yourselves there. Build an altar to me. And Jacob then he has this instruction for his family. He says to his family, let's get rid of all of our idols, all of our, our things that we've been collecting over the years that are related to other gods, and we'll go bury them in the ground, and then we'll go to Bethel together. The question that Jacob is addressing here is if I want to reconcile, if I want to worship God, that there's some things that I have to subtract from my life that are taking the place of God in my life because blessing, this unstoppable blessing, requires you and me to take an inventory of our lives to find out what are the things in our lives that are standing between us and God. What stops pure devotion to God? What is in the way of that? When Jacob talks about idols, he's probably talking about statues and specific structures that have been created that were other gods. I remember being in India and watching when people would do these crazy pilgrimages where these older men and women would crawl on their hands and knees up mountains just to kiss a statue that's at the top of that mountain. Idolatry seems easy to recognize. I know it when I see it. But what if we looked at idolatry a slightly different way? Here's what Pastor Tim Keller from New York, this is what he says. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Suddenly, idols are not just statues anymore. What's in your life? Is there anything in your life that competes with God for your devotion? Is there anything that stands in the way of you in deep relationship with God? This is an opportunity for you to go through your house and clean your spiritual house. Just like you would before a big move, you would go through your house and clean the things out, dump the things that are not used anymore, keep the things that are necessary, cleaning house is the deepest part to reconciliation and worship, that we have to remove certain things that are there that don't need to be there. Have you made financial security a God? Have you made your looks a God? Have you made social media following and influence a God? Have you made those things so important in your life, comfort, technology, even children, have you raised them to a level where they compete 
with you for your devotion to God. And Jacob says, before we can ever build this altar, we must clean our house. We must put aside the things and remove the things that stand between our full devotion to God and us. And this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. An opportunity to pray about reconciliation, an opportunity to worship God and to know him as my God, and an opportunity to be known as his, to be completely his. For many of us, this is going to be a process. A process that hopefully we can begin today. What does that process look like? Sometimes it's quick. Jacob and Esau did not have to have major negotiations before they hugged each other. And sometimes that process is long and painful, but it's a process worth undertaking. Years ago, I got Invisalign, if you're familiar with the little plastic braces you put in your mouth. For two years, I wore those things. Every day, you have to take them out to clean them, to maintain them. Every time you eat, you have to take it out. You have to pop it back in with no one looking, and you have to do that all in order to straighten your teeth to make them look better. Two years, I did that. Paid a lot of money, went to doctor's appointments constantly, and finally, my front few teeth got straight. Three weeks after I stopped Invisalign, I was taking a nap next to my oldest son, who was only a year old at the time. He sat up in bed in the middle of the, uh, the nap, realized that he was safe and okay, and he plopped his head back on the pillow, except the pillow was my face. He shattered three of my teeth in the front. Uh, it was a lot of pain, a lot of blood, <laughs> a lot of fevers, a lot of problems that happened from that. But those teeth that took me two years to straighten were now in my hands, <laughs> quite literally. Went to the dentist, and over a series of procedures, they put new teeth in my mouth. Two years of pain and endurance to get to a reset, to get to everything being right. Or one afternoon, and everything got right. For some of us today, it's going to be a long process. But it's a process worth pursuing. For some of us, it will be a phone call after church today. It will be a text message. It will be an outreach. It will be a gift. It will be something that will rebuild the bridge. But it's a process worth pursuing. This morning, I want to ask you something. Has your worship been lacking because your reconciliation has been lacking? Because broken relationships have taken over your heart and your mind. And I know some of these relationships are extremely complicated. So was Jacob and Esau's relationship. There was murder involved in their relationship. There was this deep brokenness, but without fixing the brokenness, it was hard to come with full worship before God. Because something we see over and over again in Jacob's life is that God cares about my heart. He's deeply concerned about my heart. He even throughout scripture will say things like live at peace with one another. He'll say seek peace and pursue it. But God is literally working his plan in the world through me and my heart matters to him. Where my heart is when it comes to brokenness matters to him. 
And as our worship team comes back up to close us in worship this morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Because this morning should not be a morning just like any other Sunday morning. This morning we have an opportunity to begin the process of reconciliation and healing by coming to the Lord and asking him the same way Jacob did in chapter 32. My God, you go ahead of me. You do the work that only you can do. You make things right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And we often stop right there thinking that's what that verse means. The very next phrase is, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This morning we heard about two brothers and two altars. Reconciliation and worship are connected. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. God's unstoppable blessing has always been about reclaiming, reclaiming our hearts to him. He reconciled two brothers as part of the process to get to two altars. And this morning, he's working in your heart and my heart. He's changing us to change relationships to ultimately lead to worship to him. Regardless of where you stand in a relationship right now, maybe the process is going to be a long, heavy, and and, and strenuous one. For some of us, that process is going to be quick and painless. But this morning, we have an opportunity to come back to God and say, God, for so long, I have just hoped that time would heal all wounds. I've just put it aside thinking you don't really care about that. That's my situation with that person. But this morning, God, I recognize you do care. That you do a global work, but it is a very local work. That God, who from the beginning of time has thought about reconciling man to you, God, you are the same God who is at work right now in my heart to reconcile me to my brother, my sister, my wife, my husband, my children, my loved ones, my friends, my neighbors. You are calling me to reconcile this morning. And sometimes it just starts with prayer, and that's what Jacob did. He fell before God, the same God that he was often trying to lead. And he went before this God and he says, God, you go ahead of me. You fix Esau's heart. Make me okay with this situation. You take care of things. And in the process, Jacob's heart began to change. He humbles himself. He surrenders to his brother. He makes restitution with his brother. And right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now that there is an opportunity for broken relationship to be made whole again because reconciliation and worship are intertwined. This morning, as our worship team is leading us in worship, this front area, this altar, 
will be open. If you want to come forward and have someone pray with you, if you want to just pray on your own, if you want to come before God and surrender, nothing magical happens here. But we believe that act of surrender, coming before God and saying, God, I want you to work in my life. God, I want you to change the way things are, change my heart, change my loved one's heart. And God, together, bring us to a place of reconciliation because, God, you are still in the business of reclaiming hearts. And this morning, you have an opportunity to do that. I invite you, as our worship team is playing, to come forward. Let God work in your heart. And if you have come this morning and you're saying, I know God, I believe in God, I don't know if he's my God. Come forward this morning. If you are saying, God, you are my God, but I'm not fully yours, I need to lay down some things in front of you, come forward this morning. Come be prayed with. Come pray directly and speak to him. Pray from your seats. Let's open up our hearts and reconcile with one another as we reconcile back to God. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we recognize that in our brokenness, broken relationships are common. But God, we thank you because in the greatest broken relationship scenario, the relationship between God and man, you came, you died, you set us free so that we can have relationship with you. Lord, this morning we ask that you would remind us that forgiveness is possible, reconciliation is possible. Make that the beginning so that worship can be the result. Lord, we thank you for your presence this morning. Speak to us now, even in this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray.